Hello, Brad here. Just to say we're super proud that the Friday 5pm podcast is sponsored by the Malt Miller, the UK's best home brew store. We use the Malt Miller for all of our homebrew experiments, as well as tapping them up for advice and binging on their awesome YouTube channel all the time. That's why whenever we release a homebrew video, we put a recipe kit live on the Malt Miller, so you can brew with the exact same amazing ingredients that we did. The same ingredients used by pro brewers. So alongside the Malt Miller's nitro-flushed hops, cold-stored yeast and milled-to-order malts, you can pick up recipe kits for our Five Points Best Bitter, Russian River West Coast IPA, and now the fastest beer in the world, a hazy session IPA that goes from grain to glass in less than 48 hours. Sign up to their newsletter at tinyurl.com forward slash maltmiller to get 5% off your first order. With the Malt Miller's amazing customer service and Johnny's 48-hour recipe, you could order the ingredients on a Monday and be drinking the beer by the weekend. Speaking of which, it's Friday. It's 5pm. So enjoy this week's Friday 5pm podcast. Hey Big Geeks and welcome back to the Friday 5pm podcast. I am incredibly apologetic that we missed last week's episode. It was not in the plan, but um, the traffic jam to end all traffic jams put pay (laughs) to our plans of actually releasing a Friday 5pm podcast last week. Um, We got stuck in deepest, darkest Tottenham for over three hours, didn't we? Yeah, man, it was it was bad. We were um, we were on a beer mission, obviously. Me and Johnny had combined forces into a, into a car and uh, gone to buy some sort of uh, stuff, some anonymous un, unnamed materials, <laughs> um, which I had to put on the top of the roof of my very small car. Very big amount of materials, and uh, there was some. The weather was atrocious that day. Uh, like monsoonal rains, essentially. And there were just some massive crashes all over the place. And it just brought everything into gridlock. And uh, yeah, we were were sat in traffic for a good three hours, trying to get back, I think it was under two miles away. Um, And then when we got back to where we were, we realised that there was a shop we could have bought the fucking stuff from about two minute walk uh, from our location. Uh, which just made me feel a little bit dead inside, Johnny. I don't know about you, but I was like... Well, I mean, let, let's not also forget that I left half of the shopping in the trolley <laughs> as well. Well, I didn't want to bring that up, but yeah, that also <laughs> that hurt my my kind of uh, Scottish uh, jammy sort of brain. I was like, oh man, we've just spent money on stuff and Johnny's left it in the, in the fucking cart. So yeah, it was... it was a bit of a disaster. But I mean, that day turned out to be a spectacularly cool day in the end but um it was a little bit painful it was a painful birth johnny yeah nothing nothing good happens without um without pain and strife right um in in this world and yeah we have a very very exciting video off the back of that we we were at wildcard which is why we were in tottenham um doing something very special we teased it in our patreon forum so if you're not a patreon member then you have no idea what we're talking about. But it's very exciting. It's a big announcement, a big sponsorship that we'll be announcing in two weeks' time um, and probably not bitching about traffic in that video. No. Although maybe it might come up. It might come up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that is why we didn't have uh, an episode last week. And in a week where we didn't actually publish, probably the biggest news story that's broken in my time in craft beer broke Um 
which was uh, from uh, an amazing brewer called uh, Brianne, who works for Notch, one of our favorite breweries, and they're in our documentary. Um, and she had a really sort of casual, uh, casual, casually sexist encounter with a, um, a contractor at the new brewery that they're building at Notch that led to her just in her Instagram posts, just, you know, saying, does anybody else have this all the time? Is anybody fucking sick of it? And I think about 800 stories later. Wow. Um, that's where we are now. And we've had resignations from some of the biggest breweries, most exciting breweries, and most, you know, kind of loved and trusted breweries as well. So uh, the one of the founders of Modern Times has stepped aside. Uh, the founder of Tired Hands has stepped aside. Uh, one of the founders of Dry and Bitter has stepped aside. And there's loads of stuff still ongoing. And it's it's a real moment of reckoning, I think, for craft beer, which is, you know, genuinely, and I've I've always had this slight suspicion, genuinely hiding behind being small, independent, supposedly sustainable, and and clearly, you know, using that as a as a way of hiding from responsibilities, either to be a good human or to call out bad behaviour. Um, and huge props to Brianne, who's done an incredible job who's put herself at legal risk as well and receives a torrent of abuse, which is just fucking outrageous. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, Craft Beer Channel, me uh, and Brad and Rob uh, would just like to say that we stand 100% with Brianne. We'll put all the links in this um, in the show notes for this. You can also donate to a GoFundMe for Brianne, which uh, was set up not by her, but by somebody who was worried about her needing legal fees um she says she doesn't need that so hopefully that means she's not in any trouble but any money that is put in there and isn't spent on legal fees uh, fees will be donated uh, to charity um to um you know violence charities and, and feminist charities um so yeah i just wanted to make it super clear that we completely stand with her and you know there's stuff that that we can do on the craft beer channel certainly for a start by boycotting those breweries until they sort it out um and that's 100 percent what we'll be um what we'll be doing in the meantime um and i hope that you guys can support whatever you can in whatever way you can just by you know calling out any behavior that you see by not buying from breweries that perpetuate it um and also you know we've got to be more curious we've got to be more inquisitive you know we've got to do more research to understand whether these breweries who are claiming to be ethical actually are um and that's another thing that i'm going to look into um doing better yeah man totally i mean it's uh yeah like you said people in this industry might use the sort of craft independent angle as a bit of a shield to get away with, with horrible stuff. Uh, I mean, it's, I guess it's a tale old as time, isn't it? So um, it's good that someone's calling it out at their own risk. So a uh, very brave person and, and, and well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's move on to um, our normal scheduling, which would involve us talking about this week's video which um, involved an explanation of something that I have been... I've wanted to make this video for years and years, and we've had to wait because what we wanted to do is an exploration of of British spontaneous beer using only three-year blends. And I had this idea pretty much when the first one was brewed. So we then had to wait at least three years, more like four years, to be able to make this. And, you know, there's four breweries now that have three-year blends. Uh, possibly five. I'm not quite sure about Brewdog whether they've got there yet. But Burning Sky, Wild Beer Co, uh, Mills, and Fine Ales, and we got to try three of them in one go and had a bloody lovely time doing it. 
Oh, it wasn't too bad, was it? I mean, I've had worse days at work, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it was a real eye-opening experience to see, you know, actually, because in the Lambic region, they all follow exactly the same processes. They're brewed in roughly the same area, with with the possible exception of of, um, Hansen's, which is very acetic and very, very acidic. Um, They all have things in common, whereas the striking thing about the three beers we had in that video was that they were completely different big time i, mean, I guess that's that's really exciting so you know that the, the the whole kind of belgium stuff is located within that that Seine valley and that pajotan land area so everything has the same terroir but because you know our our sort of british style lambic could be from all different corners of the country um, the unique kind of flora and, and, and stuff that's kicking around in the air uh, is, is going to sort of open them up to being quite unique. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think that really bared out in, in what we found in the video. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, so to, to really sum it up very quickly, like Burning Sky was really hoppy and nettly stingy. And then there was loads of aged character in the fine ales one, maybe lacking a little bit of acidity. Um, and they've been in touch since and said that they reckon their next, uh, their next batch that that's now out is, is even better. Um, and then the Mills one was really close, really close to, to Belgian Lambic had a lot in common and, and they follow, I think the traditions of it, the closest. Um, but just also like, you know, I've tasted spontaneous three-year blends from all over the world now, like tasted Jester King's um, three-year Lambic. And that was really yogurty, real sort of lemony, almost apricotty, lactic character. So clearly that's something that's, you know, really out there and in the air or something that they've really managed to tease out through the temperatures that they're fermenting out or something. So it's just so exciting to see all this variation um, that, that's happening within what is quite a strict uh strict process at, at the very least um although as i learned in that little snippet i put in from burning sky they don't quite follow the exact uh processes and they put something in a bag that i'm not allowed to uh talk about nobody in the comments has guessed it right either just just so you know i um, quite like Brad, the... did you have a comment yeah I, no i'm just gonna say i quite liked all the bag chat and the sort of interest that that got um yeah like you say nobody's got it right uh, you did tell me what was in the bag, Johnny. So I don't know if they should probably. Um, oh, Brad, uh, they're going to hunt me down now. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows I can't keep a secret. I'll be in the I'll be in the next spontaneous brew. Mate, it's gonna. It's, I don't know what that would taste like, but uh, <laughs> I'm guessing not as good. Um, not great. But yeah, it was that was really interesting chat. Um, uh, Comment wise, I had a good one from Chris King. You know, I feel like we. We've given lots of uh, his questions out and stuff before, but uh, Chris Chris said, "Great sign off. Here's the beer that tastes like where it's from. Great to hear about beer that embraces its local character and flavour. Beer doesn't have to be identical clones of a particular style. There's something exciting about opening something unique that tells you a story about where it's from and how it's made. Um, and I think that's that's spot on, really." Yeah, absolutely. And it's what craft beer, uh, and we'll get into it when we get our audio question later as well. It's what craft beer is starting to get a little bit wrong. Um, I think the, the, the capitalist process that demands efficiency and has a real focus on demand means that, you know, a lot of craft beer is starting to get quite samey. 
Yeah. Um, and and so having something that is so dependent on the the region where it's brewed and the person that brewed it and the processes they choose um, is, is a really important thing for us to to start to develop in craft beer, so that we can start to get a little bit more of our personal identities back in in in, in what's being brewed and in in what we consume. Um, so yeah, beer, beer that tastes of where it's from is very exciting. Um, and actually, on the, on that note, uh, Sunday's podcast we've got a bubble episode coming out on Sunday, in which we talk about farming with the owner of Ballykill Cavern Brewing, who were the the highlight in our Irish video uh, last week. Yeah, last week. I think it was. Yeah, it yeah. was last week. Uh, That's it. We haven't got to talk about it because we did a well. <laughs> we were very busy last week, so we missed out. <laughs> We were busy sat in a car. Um, so yeah, last week we we had a sponsored video sponsored by Board Biro, which is the the food uh, the food board over in Ireland, um, and they picked some breweries for us to choose from um, to taste and talk about uh, on the channel. And we got little um, little mini sort of brewery tours from all of those breweries as well. And we were amazed by Ballykill Cavern. It was all all the malt is used that's used is from his farm. Um, and some of the hops as well, uh, and all of the water is from a, a well underneath the brewery because he's so remote, he's not connected to um, to Maine's water. So again, you know, that really excited us because we were like, well, this beer is, is going to taste unlike anybody else's beer in the world. Um, and we discussed that a bit um, in the podcast, but mostly we talk about the farming of barley and the challenges and the, the rewards that are available <laughs> to uh, a barley grower, which turns out not much. Um, so support your local barley grower. Um, yeah, I found a great comment on this video as well, which is from Lachlan Crombie. Um, so he said, uh, I bloody love learning about Lambic Spontaneous Brewing. It's got to be the most exciting style of beer. Uh, so I, I love it so much. I've welded up a 40 litre stainless steel cool ship that I'm going to do some homebrew batches and leave out overnight at my cousin's farm under the trees and near beer hives. Beer hives? I wish. Beehives. Um, and see what those little bacteria yeast cells come up with. Uh, that is like the homebrew dream for me. We'd love to do that, wouldn't we? Mate, it's an absolute dream. At some point, we're going to get to doing that for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where we'll... We'll find some trees and some, some beehives or something, but it would be good is to have it completely mobile and, and take it to different places like um, Arizona Wilderness do out in the out in the States. They like to drive around and, and see what they can gather from different places. Um and yeah, that that would be. I mean, that that's the style of homebrewing that's really exciting to me because you know producing New England IPA is great and it's what I love to drink. Um, but it's it's incredibly difficult, uh, and then you end up with something that tastes like the professionals. Whereas this could be a chance to really express yourself um, and definitely to use some fruits and stuff. If I ever get a garden, I will be growing fruits that I'll be brewing with. That's that's the other big ambition I have for nice. uh, for homebrewing. Um, yeah so thanks for all the comments uh, do remember when you put a comment on our videos it might well get read out in these podcasts and we'll discuss them so we'd love you to comment um, and, and see if you can get on here and give us something to chat about and on that note we have an audio question this week in fact we have a queue of audio questions which is great because we, we've struggled the last couple of weeks so really appreciate everyone that's sending in an audio question to craftbeerboys at gmail.com uh, this question comes from Ben Kennedy Hi Johnny and Brad, Ben Kennedy here, one of your Patreon subscribers. Firstly, just like to say thank you so much for all the content you've put out this past year. 
it's been an absolute godsend in trying to get through this pandemic. Um, and it's really helped keep me sane each week. Uh, on to the question. Variety is the spice of life, they say. Now, in beer terms, obviously variety is fantastic. One of the things that makes craft beer and beer in general great. But recently, it seems that more and more breweries are producing styles almost as if they're trying to keep up with the trends. You know, They're producing their New England IPAs, their pastry styles. Everybody seems to be putting those out. Now, is that to the detriment of less popular styles? Do you think that people are trying to become a jack-of-all-trades um, type brewery? Should breweries focus on possibly just a couple and see what they can master and become renowned for those? Um, what are your thoughts on this long term? Is it going to be damaging? Do you think it will stop? Or do you just think it's part and parcel of it now that every up-and-coming brewery has to produce a lager, a pastry stout, a New England IPA, an IPA, West Coast, be whatever it may be, they have to have sours? Or can a brewery just be known for a couple of beer styles? Um, really interested to hear your take on it. Keep up the good work. Love and beer. Cheers. So, Ben, that is a, a great question, mate. Um, I'm not sure where I sit on that. I think there's something that, that, that obviously appeals to brewers about trying to brew every single style under the, under the sun and potentially chasing kind of hypey styles to get their, their, their sort of brewery recognised or I would say stand out in the crowd. But, I mean, when everyone's brewing the same hype styles. I don't know how that makes you stand out in the crowd. It's almost counterintuitive, but I, I get it because you know, everyone's going to want a new England IPA. Everyone's going to want a West coast. Everyone's going to want whatever it is, um, you know, a pastry stout, whatever it might be. So I, I think it's probably a really enticing thing. And also like a way that, you know, the, the brewer wants to flex their muscles uh, and their brains and just sort of say, Hey, look, I can, I can do whatever, man. I can do anything. But I, I do love a brewery that, that just sort of focuses down and gets incredible at making two or three styles. And you know that you're always going to get something that is world-class from that, from them. Um, you know, and they haven't sort of spread themselves too thin, uh, which, which can be the sort of the case in, 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 in some instances, but you know, for me, it's, I think it's exciting to try lots of different styles. This summer, I'm going to be hosting talks at the Manchester, Bristol and London Craft Beer Festivals, giving festival goers the chance to attend tutored tastings, rare beer pours, meet the brewers and even guided tours of the bars. These three festivals are the highlights of my events calendar, featuring some of the world's best breweries with delicious restaurant pop-ups, great music, and a really welcoming party atmosphere. It's the third year I've been hosting the We Are Beer Tastings table, but for the first time, I'm delighted to offer all of our listeners, viewers, and Patreons £5 off a ticket when you use the code CBC5. Just hit the link in the description to buy. See you there. I think it, it's a bit of a, a, a vicious circle. Like the bigger question from what Ben asked is, you know, do breweries kind of have a responsibility to brew lots of different styles? Because otherwise we'll end up with a kind of hegemonic beer scene again where, you know, you'll choose, you know, we used to just choose between lager or essentially sort of bitter or, or an English pale. That used to be your options um, in pubs until 20 years ago. And in craft beer bars, a little bit at the moment, I do sympathise with people that are annoyed with, you know, there's a hazy IPA. 
some kind of fruited sour or a strong stout. Yeah. Um, and increasingly, you know, lagers have started to come back, which has been really, really great to see. And I think that's a reaction against what's been happening. Um, so I, you know, I do think that brewers have a slight responsibility to try to brew a varied palette of beers um, because we need to encourage people to try different things um, or else we are just going to get more and more uh, sort of insular in, in what we're brewing. But I also agree with you, Brad. To some extent, I'd love... You know, we've got two and a half thousand breweries in the UK. There's eight and a half thousand breweries in the States. So, you know, there's plenty of, of room for breweries to really nail certain styles. You know, having Verdant really focusing on New England IPA or Dea, that's great. So long as there is, you know, a Braybrook focusing almost entirely, I think entirely on lager or lager yeasts. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, we can create variation that way. The problem is that certain styles are significantly more profitable and significantly more popular. So it's tricky to, you know, to ask a brewery to focus on brown ales and Flemish reds. And there's also, you know, like there's that tank time issue as well, that things like lagers just take so long to make. And probably the, you know, no one wants to pay as much for a lager as they will do for like a double IPA, for instance. Yeah. You know, so there's there's that as well, which I think for little guys, I think is a real concern. You know, like you've got to be cranking out the, the booze to, um, you know, keep keep the the doors open essentially. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my favorite example. I haven't used it for a long time now, but uh, Monkish Brewing over in um, over in LA, that I'm ninety nine percent sure they used to have a sign up that said, "We do not make IPAs." Now, if you ask a beer geek what Monkish are famous for, it's IPA. And that's because, you know, they, they were Belgian focused and they could not get the growth that they that they wanted through focusing on Belgian ale. And it's a real shame because I had some incredible Belgian beers by them. Um, and now, you know, when Monkish comes over, it's never the Belgian stuff. It's always a hazy IPA, which we make brilliantly in, in the UK already. So I guess that's, you know, a great, an amazing hypey brewery realizing that you know the reality is they can have these dreams and aspirations to do whatever style it is that their that their passion was but if it doesn't sell they've they've got a kind of go to the demand in the market otherwise they'll go under so yeah you know that i guess that could be we can't really blame breweries for chasing these hype styles necessarily because um you know they're kind of like money in the bank you know you're gonna you're gonna sell it if you make it whereas like you say like a mild or brown ale or something more trad you know it might it might get you know people like us pretty excited but you're sort of guy that's you know just just chasing the juice is not going to be interested in it and you know that is that is a lot of the um the sort of craft beer market yeah, and I, th- I think that I think that variety is the sign of a really healthy market because it means that there's lots of experimentation. The experimentation is, you know, hitting the demand of the consumer, and we just do not have that in the craft beer market. And I don't think it's a healthy market, particularly right now where you've got pubs and breweries that have racked up significant debt during the pandemic, and they only want to make stuff that they know is going to be pretty much pre-sold and out the door, and you know. Anyone that criticizes breweries for going into supermarkets right now needs to understand that the context for that is 
you know, five points have just gone into supermarkets with their best. And they've done that because they can get a decent price and they can brew, you know, 10, 15 pallets, pack those 10, 15 pallets, ship them out and never have to worry about it again. That's money straight in the bank rather than having to, you know, (laughs) brew a much smaller batch and sell that to 50 different customers at varied prices with huge amounts of sales staff having to facilitate that and organize that. Um, so, I mean, as, as as consumers, as drinkers, what can we do? It is when we see a brewery flexing their, their brewing muscles and doing something a little bit different, buy the fucking beer. Definitely. Give it a go because not only will it expand your, expand your horizons, it will expand their horizons and they can hopefully do more of it. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if we all buy it, then they're going to make more of it and they're going to be more experimental. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's, well, I think it's one of the best questions we've had, Johnny. Yeah, it's good. Good discussion. Thank you very much, Ben. Um, and we've got lots more questions lined up, some of which are killer as well. So I'm looking forward to next week's and, and digging into that. Um, so yeah, all that's left to do this week is a couple of big announcements. Um, I've already covered the Sunday podcast. Uh, so that's out Sunday midday with uh, Ballykill Cavern. Um, I am on Cloudwater's live show Wednesday night. So I'm up there taking photos for the book um, and we arranged it for a Wednesday so that I could appear and we so each week has a theme with Cloudwater and we've selected bitters um, which <laughs> I don't know how that box is going to sell to be honest but we've, we've got Bathams we've got Five Points we've got Harvey's and oh my gosh someone else and I've forgotten that's embarrassing um, but yes lots of bitters and then in the box I think will be some Cloudwater beers as well it's also going to be their first one where you can attend the 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 talk in person nice so they're selling tickets to actually be in the tap room for the recording as well um so i'm expecting a kind of jeremy kyle style call out of 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 me which i'm looking forward to wow great stuff yeah crowds braying um so that should be good fun if you're if you're in the local area do pick up a ticket and and come say hey and i'm I'm assuming we might be able to have a beer um from a, a socially distant safe safely social Oh, uh, I'll be able to wave at you from the other side of the room is what I'm trying to say, basically. Um, So yeah, do get involved in that. And then finally, we have our next live show, which is Thursday, the 4th of June. So a week, two two weeks yesterday. uh, And that is with Yonder and Little Earth Project. So it's a double header, a mixed firm double header. We've got an incredible beer list. Uh, We've got mixed firm pale ales. We've got um raspberry uh saisons we've got um oh my god what else we've got we've got an apple like a cider beer hybrid from yonder an elderberry wild ale loads of really really cool stuff that's going into that and two fascinating completely unique breweries so that's going to be a really exciting episode we apologize for it being a thursday but both those breweries have pubs slash tap rooms to run on fridays and saturdays so we had to go midweek for that one but i think it will be worth it. Nice. I can't wait for that, mate. Great stuff. Awesome. Well, we will see you next week. Um, we've got another exciting episode. We are visiting Beak Brewery next week and going on quite the adventure in a Toyota Yaris across a farm. So <laughs> <laughs> watch out for that. Uh, I thought I lost my exhaust pipe, but no, it did survive. Um, so yeah, join us at 4pm on Wednesday for that. Um, and then also later that night, me on the Cloudwater Live show. Love and beer.
The Bubble and Friday 5pm podcasts are brought to you by the nerds behind YouTube's Craft Beer channel. You can watch over 400 mini documentaries at youtube.com slash the craft beer channel. And if you love what we do, support us via Patreon and get access to merchandise and our amazing Discord forum. A positive and welcoming space for everyone who loves beer, food and homebrewing. Love and beer.